Today we're looking at one of the best known, most popular stories in the Bible. It's the story of a father, and as we will see, two lost brothers. Two brothers who are both, in their respective ways, missing out on what it truly means to be a son. And it's no mistake that the lectionary places this story within the season of Lent, um, because this story requires that we ask difficult questions of ourselves. And that's what Lent is all about. Lent is an annual opportunity for us to perform a maintenance check upon ourselves. It's a time for checking the dashboard and looking under the hood. Are there warning signs? Are there signs of dysfunction? Are we operating according to our design? Or do we need a tune-up? There's a deep underlying design that determines what it means to, to function properly as a human being. And when we operate according to that design, then and only then can we truly enjoy the life God has given to us. And so I've said this a number of times now, but I'll say it again. Lent is a journey toward true joy. And Lent is a journey toward abundant life. Now, before we jump into our passage, let's consider the broader context within the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look at the first three verses of chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus told them this parable. And so really all of chapter 15 is just one big three-part parable. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. As we've discussed a number of times over the past few weeks, at this point in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is on a journey. He's on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And as he's passing through the various towns along the way, he's healing the sick and preaching good news to the poor and feasting with sinners. He is eating and drinking with sinners. And this angers the Jewish authorities, specifically the Pharisees. If Jesus is really a prophet sent by God, then he really shouldn't be polluting himself and polluting his message by associating with these disreputable people. And so Jesus tells this three-part parable to the Pharisees as a defense of his ministry as a defense of his practice of associating with tax collectors and sinners. Our passage today is commonly referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. Um, But I think that title is problematic for a couple reasons. The first reason I've already mentioned is that this is just one part of a three-part parable. And the other two parts help us to interpret this part. So we're going to focus on that third part of the parable today, but when it comes to interpreting its meaning, we really should not be treating it as a standalone parable. Here in a minute, I'm going to demonstrate why that is so important. The second reason is this. Referring to this story as the parable of the prodigal son, I think fails to capture the main point. The older brother is just as essential to the point Jesus is making. And the real protagonist, the main character in this story, is really the father. Jesus wants us to see the love, humility, sacrifice, and forgiveness of the father toward both of his sons. Verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is is coming to me. 
Or in other words, dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So the younger son gathers his inheritance and abandons his family, and then squanders everything in a far country. For a Jewish man... This was truly rock bottom. Not only is he hanging out with pigs, an unclean animal, he's jealous of what they're having for dinner. This is rock bottom. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's servants, hired servants, have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So the prodigal son comes to his senses and decides to go back home, and and he begins to rehearse this speech that he's going to give to his dad when he gets home. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, um, scholars have debated whether or not the younger son demonstrates true repentance here. Is he truly remorseful or is he just really hungry and manipulating his father? And the story doesn't really speak to his motives. But remember, this story is just one part in a three-part parable. We have to interpret all three parts as a single unit. And the other two parts of this parable mention repentance explicitly. Verses 7 and 10 refer to the rejoicing that takes place in heaven whenever a sinner repents. And so by the time we come to part three of the three-part parable, we can draw a parallel from the other two stories in order to conclude that the younger son is truly repentant. We can also draw a parallel and see that the father's response to the son's repentance mirrors the type of rejoicing that takes place in heaven when a sinner repents. There's one more parallel worth pointing out. So in in the first story, a shepherd finds a lost sheep. In the second story, a woman finds a lost coin. And in the third story, a father finds his lost boy. Does the father actually find his son in this story? It looks as though the prodigal son repents and decides to go home of his own volition. But actually, the broader context of this this three-part parable is teaching us that repentance is less about finding God and more about being found by God. 
The sun arises and turns his face toward home, but the story really hinges upon the father's response to that. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You see, whether or not the son's motives were entirely pure is a bit beside the point. Because repentance is not about finding God, it's about being found by him. And that is good news. It means that God is not just waiting around, hoping we come home. He is proactive. He is seeking. We are responsible for repenting, but ultimately, even our repentance is a gift of divine grace. And that grace never stops, keeps on coming. Look at verse 21. The prodigal son attempts to deliver that that speech that he had rehearsed, right? Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he can finish the speech, before he can say, treat me as one of your hired servants, the prodigal son finds himself in his father's embrace. Far from being treated as a hired servant, the prodigal son is fully restored and treated like a son of royalty. Now, Jesus has, he's just told a a series of three different stories about finding something that was lost. And if that was his only point, um, he could have stopped right there, right? But in the case of this third story, he keeps going. And to understand why, I think we need to remember that Jesus is telling this three-part parable to the Pharisees. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. Once again, we see the father moving toward his son. The father is not playing favorites, nor is he attempting to uh, preserve his own dignity and respectability by remaining aloof to the family drama. The brokenness within his family pains him. It grieves him. And he is actively pursuing harmony and reconciliation. Verse 29, the older brother says to his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you you killed the fattened calf for him. He got a fattened calf. I never even got a young goat. It's not fair. And the father said to him, son, you are, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so once again, the father is disrespected and rejected by one of his sons. And the older brother reveals a true lack of love for his brother and a true lack of respect for his father. 
But the Father is no less gracious, no less patient, no less compassionate. He pleads with the older brother to understand the nature of grace. He pleads with the older brother to come join the feast. But that's where the story ends. We don't, we don't know what the older brother decided to do. Now remember, Jesus is telling this parable because the Pharisees are upset that he eats and drinks with sinners. Chapter 15 opens with a question about eating and drinking. And chapter 15 closes with an invitation to a feast. Jesus is inviting the Pharisees to a feast. You see, Jesus is a true brother here. He shares in the joy of the Father over the return and restoration of penitent sinners. He doesn't get jealous when the Father distributes his inheritance to sinful siblings like us. In fact, he goes out of his way to redeem them. Jesus says, yes, I am my brother's keeper. I'm going to go get him. I'm going to pay his debts and I'm going to bring him home. But the Pharisees are represented by the older brother in this story. They are upset because Jesus is eating and drinking with a bunch of prodigal brothers. And the the open-ended nature of this parable serves as an invitation to them. Come to the table. Join the feast Our father is restoring the lost. This is a thing worth celebrating. But ultimately, the Pharisees, we know, refuse to join the party. They exclude themselves from the joy of their father. And this is self-righteousness, to be sure. But it's not just self-righteousness. It's, it's much bigger than that. You see, the Pharisees are forgetting the story of their own redemption. The irony of their self-righteousness is that Jesus has just told a parable about Israel. The prodigal son could easily be identified with the nation of Israel. The Bible identifies the nation of Israel as the son of God, a son who has been given a great inheritance. But Israel repeatedly rebels against the father. And as a result, they are exiled into far countries. But now the Messiah has come. The Messiah has come and the kingdom of God is at hand. And God is offering to restore Israel to its former glory. The father is running out to meet them and pouring out his grace upon them in the person of Jesus Christ. He's holding out an invitation to the very feast foretold by their prophets. And so of all people, of all people, the Jewish people ought to have been ready and willing to accept the prodigal. For the Pharisees to act as the older brother is a great and tragic irony. But the open-ended nature of this parable serves another purpose. It serves as an invitation to us to consider who we are within this story. For those of us in the room who identify with the younger brother, you need to know and trust 
the Father's love and favor for you. Do not doubt the depth of his forgiveness. Do not doubt his ability to restore you. We say it every week. Know for certain that you are fully and freely forgiven. Every Sunday morning is a homecoming for the prodigal. And every Lord's Supper is a celebratory feast for you. And for those of us in the room who identify with the older brother, you need to recognize that pride and self-righteousness are sins like any other. They call for total repentance. They're just as dishonoring to the father and they're just as harmful to the family. If you identify with the older brother, you are living in a far country of your own making. And you are just as far from home as your younger brother ever was. And so come home. Come to the table. Your father's love is bigger and more inclusive than you think. And the guest list includes people you would rather not have at the party. But he's not wrong. You are. No amount of discipline and piety can heal your heart when it's been shriveled by self-righteousness. You hear that? No amount of discipline and piety can heal your shriveled heart when it's been shriveled by self-righteousness. Only a feast can do that. Only a feast can do that. You know, when our society pictures an evangelical Christian, they picture the self-righteous older brother standing on the outside and sneering at all the sinners. Like the Pharisees, we too are quick to forget grace. We are quick to forget that the only reason we are even here is because Jesus loved us when we were sinners. And this forgetfulness prevents us from cultivating a truly welcoming community. Let's be honest. Sinners are not very eager to eat and drink with evangelical Christians. In fact, sometimes we repel the very people Jesus attracted. What if the prodigals started coming through that back door? Are we prepared to handle that with love and grace? Are we quick to get fed up? Or do we have the grace and patience to continue loving? If Jesus is really in the business of saving sinners, and he is, and all of those sinners are supposed to come to a common table and form a common fellowship, then we should expect a baseline level of family drama. One of the hardest things about the Christian life is putting up with the church. Amen? All right. It's okay to admit that. It's okay to admit that. But we should also recognize that that's how God designed it. So it must be for our good. We should expect it to hurt. We should expect to be disappointed. We should expect that every person will come with a certain degree of baggage. 
And we should see the Lord's hand at work when all of that happens. Let me conclude with this. As I said earlier, corporate worship is a weekly, weekly homecoming, a weekly feast with our Father. And I, I think each of us should spend some time reflecting upon our presence and our posture on Sunday mornings. What do you feel when you gather with your spiritual siblings on Sunday mornings? Do you feel inferior? Do you feel superior? Do you feel unworthy? Do you functionally believe that you have somehow earned your spot in the pew? Listen, a son is a son is a son. And a daughter is a daughter is a daughter. And the Father's mercy levels the playing field in this room. We all receive the same bread. We all receive the same wine. The faithful don't get more and the wayward don't get less. So no matter what kind of brother you are, the Father's grace is for you. So welcome home. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, your grace and mercy are never ending. Thank you for finding us. Thank you for bringing us home as sons and daughters of royalty. Jesus, thank you for being a good big brother, for traveling into a far country to redeem us, for paying our debts, for bringing us home. Holy Spirit, restore the younger brothers in our midst and humble the older brothers in our midst and make us a harmonious family. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.